Welcome to Foster Strong, a podcast where America's alumni of foster care share captivating and compelling stories of what it was like growing up in the foster care system. Each episode, we explore how our time in foster care shaped us into the resilient individuals we are today. everybody. I'm Carrie, one of your hosts coming at you today from Washington, D.C. And this is Adrian McLemore coming to you from Baltimore, Maryland. Hi, guys. This is Raya. I'm from New Jersey, but I'll soon be joining the D.C. crew. And I'm Lino, also from D.C. Uh, so today we're going to talk about what Foster Strong really is, how it got started. And you're going to hear from Sean Anders, director and screenwriter. And you're going to hear a little bit from Raya about her story growing up in foster care. But, you know, before any of that, you know, how is everybody doing? And, you know, what is up with this pandemic? Pretty strange times, huh? Extremely strange times. Some states are opening back up. Uh, actually, my city is still closed, but like all the surrounding areas around Maryland are starting to open back up. So it's kind of weird that I can't do anything in Baltimore, but I can travel outside city limits and do stuff. Yeah, you've got the freedom now. That's right. That's how we're, I got down DC, here. We're under lockdown. It, just, I, it was just extended. Yeah, until June 8th. So technically, I'm not supposed to be here. But we are social distancing <laughs> in this room. We are following CDC guidelines. We put a measuring tape out and ensured that Adrian and Lino and I are all six feet from each other. Just to clarify, that wasn't a measuring tape. It was one of those, like, you know, measuring that measure your waist kind of a thing. It was just like <laughs> the little stringy kind. We're making do. We're making do. And we've got Raya in New Jersey. Raya, what is, what's going on with Jersey? When are you opening? Well, our stay-at-home order is in place until, um, truthfully, I don't know anymore. <laughs> but um, Lost count of the I days. know we're not totally open. So we were the second most affected state in the country. And so, unfortunately, even if towns wanted to open, it is totally state-mandated. So we do not have that kind of freedom. Yeah, it's kind of, I don't, I was thinking it's weird how two months ago people were fighting over toilet paper so yeah. intensely. Yeah, absolutely. And fighting over toilet paper, hand sanitizer, and even meat. Like there was like a ground beef chicken shortage issue. And now there's a, like a top ramen uh, shortage, but. Uh, really? <laughs> yeah, there was because there was some factory workers who got infected at one of the ramen factories. And so that sent, you know, the world into an uproar because, you know, so, so many of us live and die by noodles. Well, I, I think it's there's a lot that's going to change after this because we've had a shift in so many ways of working remotely. And one of the things that I've noticed that I hope doesn't change after Corona is that it seems like open open um, container laws don't apply anymore. <laughs> People are literally walking around on the sidewalk with a bottle of wine like we are now in Europe, which yeah. I'm for. Uh, wait, do what you got to do to get through. Oh, yeah. yeah. In D.C., I, I was out yesterday and people were just popping bottles <laughs> down by the water. Like. <laughs> That's how you get through COVID, right? Well, I know in my home state of Ohio, I know the governor had allowed like you could like do carry out liquor now um, to help folks get through it. Um, but I think the state's kind of opening back up too. I think uh, I'm just looking forward to the barbershops being back open because I miss my barber. I really do. <laughs> Gotta get yes. them clippers and get that back of that neck though. My brows are rough. They need some work. <laughs> uh, well, Raya, we know that 
you particularly have sort of an interesting experience. I think one of the other pieces of the pandemic is that it's changing the way everyone is celebrating what normally would be an extremely exciting event, whether it's graduation, whether it's having their first child. Um, and for you, it's this move. And so I, I would love to just pause and hear what you're feeling right now. You've worked so hard to get your education, to really start paving the way to building your career and the moment that you are making this exciting transition from your home state of New Jersey to DC, you're now burdened with this pandemic. So what, what has that been like? What is it bringing up in you? I, um, I accepted, uh, you know, the job that I'm headed to DC for back in, um, January actually. And so I have had a very strict and stuck to plan, um, to move and, to be in DC um, since then, really, I, I plan right away. That's what I do. So I had it all laid out. But um, as coronavirus grew and the uncertainty grew, it really, you know, I think struck home for me. Um, I think a lot about the first night I entered the foster care system, um, you know, being removed from my parents and um, the feeling of not knowing where I was going to end up that night. I stayed with family, um, you know, just until, you know, DCF could, you know, find somewhere for us to go. And it turned out to be lots of classes for my, you know, family to go through in order to keep us and stuff. But I just remember the thought of not knowing if they were going to, they had six kids of their own. And, you know, my sister and I were seven and eight, and that's a big responsibility to tack on. So um, huge. Yeah. And, and at this point, you know, I, I've worked really hard in my life to make sure that I know what's next. Um, I, that feeling of uncertainty is unsettling to me. Um, and I, of course, think it's because of that situation. But when something out of your hands strikes like this virus and pandemic, there's unfortunately not much we can do. And so I spent a lot of time sitting with that feeling and really having to think about what that meant for me. And you're really close to your family, I mean, what is that like now there's this pandemic and, and you're moving away from them? It's incredibly difficult, especially um, most of my older siblings have moved out at this point. Um, and my oldest or my older sister just had her first baby. Um, well, congratulations, auntie, right? <laughs> yes, uh, it, it is my fourth niece slash nephew um but you know she was born six months ago and so we've really just missed three months of her life and they had a really you know long road to their pregnancy and so it was really celebratory um we just found out my cousin's pregnant and we can't celebrate that and so you know it is hard knowing that I'm leaving my family at a time where I haven't seen them for three months and now I won't until we get the opportunity to visit again yeah but how I mean I, I think you should still be so proud of the strides that you've made um, to get to this point and the fact that you're pushing forward and through everything that's happening with the pandemic and still committing to this new job and committing to the move is just, it speaks to the perseverance that you Absolutely. have. And so yeah, and I, I, I try to look on the bright side, you know, um, unfortunately my job did decide to start remotely Um and, you know, that definitely changed things. I was supposed to go down there and live um, in accommodations provided by them to start. But um, it 
on the bright side meant that I could move in with my partner a lot earlier. And so now instead of moving in August, we get to move in together in June. And that's something we're really looking forward to. What's the new job? So I will be working for the Congressional Coalition on Adoption Institute um, to partner with their foster youth internship program. So what is CCAI for short for those of us listening who don't know what it that is? So CCAI is um, an advocacy nonprofit group who supports the Adoption Caucus on Capitol Hill um, in creating legislation and awareness around child welfare in the foster care system. That is amazing. And and what I mean, obviously, all of us are alumni of foster care and sort of already know the answer to this question. But what makes you so excited to join an organization like this? It's just so um, incredible to see change being made at such a such a high level. I remember uh, writing a paper my sophomore year of high school. Um, It was a memoir. And I you know, went through my life and my story and said, I want to give back and work for, um, you know, child, like child welfare as specifically a caseworker. But through college, I realized that change happens on a bigger level. And working with CCAI is going to give me the ability to have a voice at that level. And I couldn't be more excited. That's awesome. Congratulations again, officially, Ryan. I know. And soon we'll have you in the room with us, which will be amazing. And obviously we're still going to be social distancing of course, (laughs) following the CDC guidelines. Definitely. Well, it's after June 8th, so maybe things will open up by then. June 15th, counting down. Absolutely. We'll see. So I think one of the other unique pieces is, um, (laughs) it's funny. I don't know if you, you feel this too, Raya, is that you're moving during national foster care month. So it's like a pandemic. It's, it's reflective of all the things that you've worked through as a a foster youth alumni to get to this point. And then it also just so happens to be commemoratively (laughs) national foster care month. Um, and I know that when I was looking at the website, I found it was so interesting that they don't have the description of foster youth in there. Adrian, what, what? I know you have thoughts on this. What yeah, are they? It's it's funny. It's a quote that uh, it's very well known throughout the foster care community about nothing about us without us. And so to go to the national website to commemorate National Foster Care Month and the, the consumer or the client or the most important person in that group is not even mentioned or talked about. Um, and so they recognize foster parents, caseworkers, and all the things you can do, but nothing about the youth voice. And I think that, that uh, Carrie actually brought that to our attention when we were getting ready to start the podcast. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, National Foster Care Month actually started back, I want to say in 19, oh, I'm going to get this wrong, 88, but I think that's right, uh, by Ronald Reagan. And ever since then, every president has signed some sort of proclamation recognizing it, uh, basically bringing attention and awareness to the foster care, child welfare community and world. Uh, And so there's a lot of things going on uh, this month. Uh, And so one of the ways that I am choosing to recognize my former uh, brothers and sisters in the system is to start uh, a campaign to raise uh, funds to um, get graduation gifts for youth who are uh, actually graduated from high school because the stats are pretty abysmal when it comes to young people going up in the system who actually uh, don't graduate from high school. And so I'm pretty excited about that. What are some of the things that y'all are doing to commemorate this month? There are a host of other things that, I'm, that we're doing, but that's just one of the big ones. I mean, for me, it's... It's actually pretty interesting because I didn't really celebrate foster care awareness month um, or I didn't even know it existed for the longest time. And even to this day, I mean, I, for me, it's mostly just self-reflection. I just think about my time in foster care, what it was like for me, and it gives me the opportunity to look back and to just 
think about, you know, what, just what my life was like. And there's not really much I do to commemorate it other than just, you know, kind of be uh, pensive and reflective. Yeah, that's, that's quite all right, too. Yeah, I have to, you know, agree with Lino in that time of reflection and thinking about it, um, you know, especially planning this move and things this year in particular has been a time for me to just think about how that experience affected me and changed me and made me the person I am today. So I appreciate this month and the recognition from, you know, our country and our fellow um, alumni and those in the system now as just a time of recognition. Yeah, I I think there's a lot of reflection going on, particularly with this National Foster Care Month 2020, because we are all isolated and you can't really run from some of those emotions. And so it, it is a good time to think back on how did foster care shape me or what was the role that it played? And, um, I I'm really excited that we, you know, intentionally are launching foster strong during the month of May during national foster care month, doesn't matter that there's a pandemic going on and that we've ran into a bajillion audio issues. <laughs> we're, we're pushing forward. And, and resiliency, right? <laughs> that's what we that's what are. Do. Yeah. I'm getting it tatted. I think a chest tat that just says resilient. Uh, Should we get matching ones? No, someone stop me. I was kidding. <laughs> but to your, to your point about the pandemic and National Fall Scare Month, I think that this pandemic has exposed uh, a lot of triggers, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but just the fact of just going through this pandemic kind of has some of those emotions and feelings of what it was like going back to the system. Raya mentioned that earlier when she was speaking. I know that we've all had thoughts um, about the going through this time, social distancing and being alone and feeling isolated and just how all that kind of stirs up inside of you. And so we're happy that you're choosing to listen into the podcast and be a part of this new network and community. And so we, we look forward to bringing you uh, some reprieve uh, during this pandemic. And then, of course, when it's over, uh, you, we'll still be here listening and uh, recording shows for you. Yeah, and I think the one of the really cool things that has come up as we navigate this pandemic is that you've seen a lot of former foster youth stepping up to be a voice for their peers who are really struggling right now because they've lost support systems, they've been displaced from their college campuses, they've lost jobs, all of these things that are going on where um, our peers who have sort of made it on the other side of, of those things are wanting to advocate and are wanting to elevate the voices of those who may still be experiencing foster care um, or are just fresh out of the system. And so that's really, that is what we want to see more of. And that is why Foster Strong exists. We want to be elevating the voices of our peers. And and for so long, we have had this narrative around foster care and, and the way that people speak about it is very negative and it paints this scary picture. And then it's done in a way that makes those who are in foster care feel ashamed to even right. say they're in the system. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I don't know how many many years it took me to be able to be proud of the fact that I went through the foster care system and here I am today. And, you know, that's something that I wear as a, as sort of a badge of honor now, because I'm like, yeah, I made it through the fire. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say that, um, I think I didn't, I kind of hit it when I was in high school and even it wasn't until I got to college, uh, and started a whole bunch of public advocacy and realizing just how chaotic college was for someone coming from this foster care system, because you you go from a dependent 
foster care system or institution to a new institution where you're expected to be independent, trying to navigate a financial aid office, the student support services, and moving on campus and seeing all these friends and family uh, moving into the dorms, and you're moving into the dorms with your county worker in the big county van while people got grandparents and saying you can come home on the weekends, and you don't have that. And so once uh, I started getting comfortable with my own skin and bringing that to the attention of the university, um, that's when I started feeling like I could wear my experience as a badge of honor. And so uh, I, I guess you could sort of say I started becoming Foster Strong in college, uh, and now that's translated to what we're doing here today. That was literally exactly what I went through as well. Like it's not same thing with um, everything we were talking about earlier. It's just like this narrative of reclaiming my own narrative, um, and you know, from trauma to triumph, kind of a thing. And uh, didn't really talk about it. Didn't really share about it. The past wasn't really something a place to go. Yeah. for me during those times. Yeah, I think we should probably tell the people who are listening like how we all met and how Foster Strong kind of got started. That way, they can kind of get a sense of it, right? I mean. <laughs> What a time. It has been quite a journey getting this thing all pulled together. I, I think um, what happened, Instant Family is a movie about a family who fosters and adopts. Um, and they had been doing a bunch of screenings all over the country. And I remember seeing that that this movie was based off of the director's own personal story and him and his wife's journey fostering and adopting and I remember reading that he always wore the same foster love shirt to all of his screenings and and when the screening came to DC I'm waiting in line to enter the theater and I see him walk in and I see the shirt and I'm like oh my god I know that man <laughs> and so I ran up to him like a crazy stalker fangirl and was like hello sir I am a former foster youth thank you for the way that you have shared the way that kids in foster care are portrayed. I'm so grateful. And this is a really important conversation. Um, and by the way, have you ever washed that shirt that you wear to every single screening? I hope so. What did he say? He was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Great to meet you. And you know, that's where the magic started of Foster Strong and pulling together this group of alumni because it, it w I wasn't the only one doing that. Um, I, I think you all can attest to those other pieces. Right. So I uh, his name is uh, Sean Anders. For those of you who don't know, um, the movie is called Instant Family Again. It's I believe it was produced by Paramount Pictures. It's a great movie. You should go out uh, and watch it if you haven't already done so. Um, but I actually don't know how Sean found me. Uh, true stories. I got a random phone call at my office of all places saying uh, from uh, Allison and saying, hey, I want to schedule a conversation. Allison's a consultant on the movie. Yeah. Uh, I want to have this conversation with you uh, about uh, a video that I watched. Uh, and Sean, the director of this movie, would like to talk to you as well. So I get on the phone with Sean and Sean is saying, hey, I've was in this production van um, with Octavia Spencer and some of the other actors and actors of the movie, and we watched this video that you were in talking about foster care and adoption. I thought it was really, really cool. I'd love to meet you. I'm going to be in D.C., whatever he was in D.C. You know, I'd love for you to meet you in person, and that's how I came in contact with him and how he started talking about Foster Strong and being a part of it, and that, that's kind of how we all collectively came together. Like, I think we all are, own, are advocates in our own spaces and do our own thing, but this movie really pulled us together. Um, and I actually met Raya at one of the screenings. We didn't meet officially, but that's why I remember seeing her there. Yeah, I um, I came across Sean and the movie Instant Family and you wonderful folks for an event called Angels in Adoption. Um, and during that week, Sean did a screening for, um, you know, foster care and child welfare families across the country um, who gathered for this event. And it was fantastic. And 
you know, Adrian was on a panel there. So that's where we cross paths. But I spoke at Angels in Adoption, that event, uh, as their keynote speaker to share a little bit more of my story. Um, and got a phone call one day that said, Sean heard you speak and he'd love you to keep going on this podcast. So um, I'm, I'm a sucker for somebody with a big idea. So I'm just really happy to be a part of it all. That's awesome. So I similarly, I mean, I was at that moving screening. I was helping out with the Angels and Adoption Gala. Uh, so I kind of came into contact with Sean through that. And uh, right now I live in DC and I work on the Hill and um, they were, they, when they were here, um, the Congressional Coalition on Adoption reached out to me about uh, giving him a tour of the Capitol. Uh, so I gave him and his family a tour of the Capitol. And, you know, through that kind of just talking to him, um, that's where kind of I told him a little about my story um, because we kind of already had some of that pre-contact and the, the, the context of like where we were meeting each other. And um, and so that, that kind of brought us into this into this moment. And uh, here we are and like launching in the middle of coronavirus and we're not letting it slow us down. And it's just still fits in very, very clearly with that narrative. And um, can we can we just talk about the fact that Lino just did a soft flex talking about I gave them his family a tour of the Capitol? Like, okay. <laughs> 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 but those of us who have interned on the hill all remember our, our tour guide days and those fun facts of the Capitol. <laughs> oh yeah, you better hope you didn't wear heels that day. Oh my gosh, my calves burned interning on the hill. <laughs> I've actually like I had never given a tour because I was like, that was your first tour. That was my first tour. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> I, so I didn't know it. I didn't go through the trainings or anything like that because I happened to be placed in a member uh, committee office. I mean, so were you lying or just making up facts about the Capitol? <laughs> People for sure just make up stuff. We're like, that sounds exciting and cool. Let me say that, that this is where a ghost was. <laughs> uh, so I think it's important too, that we just clue you all in on sort of what is the mission of Foster Strong? Because while we have this podcast, that is not just what Foster Strong is. It's actually an organization that is alumni led at people who have experienced and have lived through foster care um, all join together because we want to empower current and former foster youth to reclaim their narratives by authentically sharing our journeys of, of what it was like moving from trauma to triumph. So we are proud of the fact that we embrace resilience as our collective identity and that we are foster strong. And we are thrilled to be taking you along on this journey with us. So we have Sean Anders, who is the director and screenwriter of Instant Family, and Instant Family is based off of his own life, fostering and adopting him and his wife, Beth, and we're thrilled to have Sean on the show to walk us through how Foster Shock came to be. In many ways, it feels like, gosh, Sean, I it feels like yesterday where I ran up to you at the instant family screening and we first met, but then in a lot of ways, it feels like it's been 50 years of talking about Foster Strong. And so can you just walk us through the vision of Foster Strong and sort of how you envisioned this all and how it came to be? Yeah, well... So much of it came about when I was on the press tour for Instant Family because I was, I was meeting all these kids and adults and and foster alumni and foster youth that were coming up to me at these screenings and telling me their stories and they were so cool and so interesting and their stories had this through line of just strength and resilience and and really conquering overwhelming odds and in Hollywood we're always talking about that stories of people beating impossible odds. And here you have these people that were faced with 
really difficult situations and big obstacles from the time they were little kids. And I just kept thinking, you know, when I got into this, when I was first thinking about adopting out of foster care or fostering, it was very, very terrifying to me because the whole narrative around it was just really a scary one of like, who are these scary kids and where did they come from and what do they do and what's wrong with them? And, you know, and then you start to realize like, no, no, they're just kids like any other kids. And they're in this situation through no fault of their own. And beyond that, they end up cultivating this, these incredible, you know, skills of, you know, strength and fortitude that they never get any credit for. So Allison, who you mentioned earlier, who was a consultant on the movie and who works in, in the, um, you know, in the uh, child welfare space, we were talking about why aren't, why aren't more of these kids and young adults involved in the whole process, why aren't they out there kind of, you know, inspiring the kids that are coming after them? Why isn't there, isn't there some way to rebrand this whole thing and take some of the fear factor out of it? So, so it was, it started from just this, I don't know, what can we do? And then it, and then it became, well, we, we can't do anything because we're not qualified. We're not, we're not on the inside. All we can really do is get some people together like Maraid, who is part of Foster Strong now and who had worked on the movie. And then, of course, I met you uh, at the, where were we? That was the Air and Space Museum, wasn't it? Yeah, what a place to have a movie screening, too. It's very weird, but cool. It was cool. I'd never been there. So I walk in and I'm looking at the Starship Enterprise model in the, in the doorway and you come running up to me and, uh, and you were, you know, so full of, of life and ideas and excitement and everything. I was like, wow, she's great. We got to get her involved in some way. And I was so pleased when you, when you wanted to be. And then of course you introduced us to, to several other people and we've got this amazing group together now, but yeah, that, that's how it started. And the best part, was that when Allison and I realized, well, we know what we want to do. We basically want to rebrand what it means to be in foster care, from foster care, etc. We want people to think of this differently, to kind of pick up where the movie left off. But we realized really early on that it just isn't something that we can do. It's only something that we could maybe help facilitate, but we need the people like you and Lino and everybody to, 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 to really take the reins and do it. Yeah. And we're so grateful that you all sort of were the shepherds here, bringing us all together, um, knowing that we have a responsibility to really lead this thing forward and, and help our peers to reclaim their narrative. And And how I see it is that we're raising the volume that we're, we're not handing out mics. Everyone already has a mic, but we're raising the volume and elevating those voices. And so I, I love that you, you spoke to how meeting and you do often about how meeting um, young people along the way as you were doing these screenings and having all these conversations with folks who really embodied resilience. I know you're feeling the excitement too of of Foster Sean coming to life after a while of talking about it. What it's been, it's been way too much talking about it and now that things are really starting to come together and happen, I'm I'm so excited. Yeah, it, it it is crazy to think that we are at this point. So, I mean, now what is your biggest hope for Foster Strong as it launches and starts to take off? My dream for for Foster Strong was for, you know, people like you who have who have lived this and who have, you know, even at your young age gone on to disprove the stereotype. I just want uh, in particular, young people to hear these, you know, people that are, that are in the shoes that you were in to hear these stories and know that it doesn't have to be this 
this bleak future of aging out into homelessness and prison and all those things that you hear about all the time, that there are so many people like you guys who have, who have gone on to great things and are going on to even greater things, but beyond just even the, the, the kids getting that message. I also want other people who are thinking about starting or growing their family to get that message too, that there's this thing in the movie where, um, um, Tom Segura, who plays the brother-in-law, who is, um, he was kind of the guy that, that said all the most inappropriate things in the movie. And there's this scene where he sees the kids and he's like, Oh, that's weird. they just look like regular kids. <laughs> and, and I, that came from me. I had that experience that I had never seen a kid in foster care. Even when we started going to our classes, I was like, I don't know. And I, I, I had this kind of perception. I don't know what it was, but it wasn't like, Hey, they're just kids. And then I went to one of the group meetings and after the group meetings, all these kids came in and were just hugging their parents and hanging out. And I had this feeling of like, Oh, well, they're, they're just regular kids. And I feel like the world kind of needs to get that message that these are just kids and they're, you know, they've, they've got their challenges like any other kids, but they need all the same things we all need, love and family and all that. And I feel like when somebody hears your voice or Lino's voice or Slam's voice or Candy's voice or any of these voices and they realize, oh, these are the adults that can come from foster care, that maybe it'll take some of the, the fear out of it. And when people are thinking about starting or growing a family, maybe they'll go down the path that my wife and I went down, which has turned out to be the best decision we ever made. Yeah. So that's my dream for it. That was my long winded dream for foster care. You know, there's a lot. It's a great dream. And it, it is about loving them and giving them a safe home and giving them the space to then thrive and become these um, individuals like like Lino, like Candy, like Slam, like Maraid, who have gone on. Slam and Maraid are graduating soon. And Candy has launched her own company and who and Slam's, you know, doing amazing poetry and, and, and so creative. And so really, you see through our team members, the resilience and um, what can come on the other side of some of these horrible experiences. But I always struggle when people say just regular, because I get that all the time of people saying, you grew up in foster care, no way, but you're so, you're so normal. Um, and in some ways I'm like, yeah, I don't know that I'm so normal because it's not very normal to experience this amount of trauma. And it's taken a lot, um, of work, you know, to get to this point. And for that reason, I'm like, yeah, they're regular and normal, but they're they're more than that. They're extraordinary. Um, because I look at our team members and I'm like, wow, you went through all of that. And here you are now standing strong and bold and brave. And not only have you made it through everything that you've made it through, but you're also in the space of wanting to help others who are going through the same thing you're going through. And that's one of the things I just love about the group that we have here and, uh, and the people that we will meet along the way through this show. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, to that, I met, I met this woman, um, in the course of making instant family and she didn't know what the movie was about. And when she found out what it was about, she, uh, confessed to me that she had grown up in 
in foster care. And we sat down and she started telling me our story. And throughout her story, she, she kept repeating this phrase over and over again, saying, I never talk about this. I never talk about this. I never talk about this. And when she was done, and it was an amazing story. And when she was done, I said, how come you never talk about this? And she said, because it's embarrassing. And I just, I'm ashamed. And, and I said, I, I have to, you know, look, I, I, I can't, know what it's like to be in your shoes, but you have to understand that from my perspective, what you're describing is overcoming these incredible obstacles. And it's almost like somebody saying like, yeah, I've climbed Mount Everest, Mount Everest like nine or 10 times, but I don't like to talk about it. Cause I, I don't want people to think I'm this weird mountain climber person. <laughs> and I was like, that's no, like you're amazing. <laughs> this is, it's such a, it's such a strange thing as an outsider to hear somebody say that they're ashamed. And it's like, I, and believe me, I, I understand where that comes from. I do, but I feel like that, that was also part of the inspiration for this. That, right? that perfectly gets at the point that I was making and, and sort of, I think gives the audience a good understanding of what our group is all about. Um, I do before, before we go, I do want to tell you, I don't know that I've ever shared this. Did I, did you know that Octavia Spencer, who was one of the social workers in instant family was one of, was the person who gave my commencement speech when I graduated? No, I didn't know that. <laughs> oh my God. And she'll be, I'll t I will tell her this story and she will be, she will love that. That's, that's incredible. What? Wow. I did not know that. Yeah. I, I, I had forgotten too. And you know, we're, we're talking about graduation and, um, you know, next week we're going to have some of our team members on to talk about that slam and marade. And as we were discussing our own instances of graduation, I was like, Oh my gosh, I didn't even realize like Octavia Spencer gave my commencement speech. I was falling like a baby, this huge, huge day. Um, and I don't think I'd ever shared that with you. So I had to tell you what, a, what a funny and small world and weird, the way that everything seems to come full circle sometimes. Well, and I'll tell you with Octavia, you know how there's that whole thing, don't meet your heroes because so many of, you know, people that whether they come from movies or music or sports or whatever, and you know, that they're, they don't always prove out to be wonderful people. And Octavia is the real thing, mm. top to bottom. She's amazing. She was, she would literally come to set a half hour earlier than, than the rest of the cast, uh, and just run through the scene with the stand-ins. Mm. So the stand-ins were like, Oh my God, I'm doing a scene with Octavia Spencer. <laughs> and it was, she was just so kind and incredible. And just, yeah, I mean, anybody who's ever worked with her is just blown away. Like, wow, she's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Sean. We, are so grateful for the vision that you had for the heart that you and your wife, Beth had to foster and adopt. Um, you have three beautiful little children and, and so we're grateful for them, for the way that they inspired you to, to set out, to help change the narrative. Um, we're thrilled for what's to come on this podcast. We have a lot of amazing co-hosts that will join and share their stories of moving from trauma to triumph. We have have other guests from across the country that we're thrilled to be introducing you to soon who are, are doing amazing and incredible things in their communities. Um, and I strongly believe and will continue to preach that some of our worst experiences, some of the most traumatic moments in our lives, they can lead to this really world changing and inspiring work. And that's what you're going to see in the coming months as, as we continue to take you all along on this crazy ride that is foster strong. Yeah. I mean, it's this, it, we was talking about this like collective trauma almost. And I mean, that's what it brings me to about like the collective trauma of those in 
foster care and, and you know and, and I can't help but think about you know the collective trauma that we're kind of facing right now of the pandemic and kind of all this isolation that's happening and you know how do we put a positive spin on some of those things and because these these traumas impact us and, and in that sense they kind of leave us with these little you know quirks or little things that we end up doing and um, so I mean just for example I mean I'm sure foster care has done that for all of us we all have like some kind of quirk or something like that I mean do y'all have any any some kind of like weird quirk that you got from like when you were in foster care um, I mean I mentioned mine before Lino um, in just being a planner that <laughs> feeling un of uncertainty uh, does not do well in my book. So I plan for, you know, I have a three month plan, my six month plan, my year plan, five year, 10 year, you name it. Um, my boyfriend laughs at me all the time. You know, he is uh, my great counterpiece because he is a go with the flow every hour of the day. So I wonder one day we should do an episode on uh, Raya's planning and get in a peek inside of what a three months, uh, six month plan looks like. But I think we bring her partner on. I think yes. we, <laughs> to, to get the true perspective, we have oh, to hear God. from Jesse. <laughs> but I completely understand having those little quirks. I remember uh, leaving the system because so many things weren't in my control. Um <laughs> that I actually developed a quirk where I am always, always, always prepared. And so this coronavirus didn't really impact me as much because um, I've always um, had stock. I always keep a stockpile, not like hoarding, but I was just always prepared. So it just kind of made those, uh, the, that trigger just kind of kicked in the gear, my planning process of, all right, we got enough toilet paper, got enough paper towels, got enough sanitizer, got enough cleaning supplies. Like it, you know, it just kind of, now went we know where all the toilet paper went. Clearly <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> <right. seriously. laughs> he was hoarding it. Yeah. Did you bring some? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think for me, my probably funniest, weirdest quirk was when I was a kid, I carried every single one of my books around in a book bag. Um, Yes. Yes. Taking a new level to the, to the word book bag. I literally though would have like 50 books in this, in this book bag and I would get in trouble, like stop carrying around all these books. You're not going to read them all in our one hour trip to the grocery store. And I look back down, it's more of like, it was an attachment that I was worried. I didn't know life was uncertain. I didn't know when I would be moving homes. And so my books were the most important thing to me. And so they went everywhere I went until the pediatrician said, bro, you're going to get really bad scoliosis if you stop doing this. I mean, is it like, were they like coloring books or like picture no, books? Or like, were they like books. legit, like they lemony were... snicket kind of a thing? <laughs> <laughs> Judy B. Jones, Captain Underpants, yes. Captain Dr. Underpants. Seuss, a series of unfortunate events, you name it. It was in my book bag. At all times. Flash forward to what Carrie's been doing during quarantine is some light <laughs> reading. <laughs> all the childhood books. No, you guys know I've been playing Guitar Hero all the time during yeah. <laughs> for those, quarantine. Yeah, for those listeners out there, I'm taking a peek inside Carrie's studios. There's like guitars next to me and then there's a Vogue book on the shelf. So I can't determine if she's reading the Vogue book and then playing guitar or vice versa. <laughs> Both. I'm just studying how to be a rock star. <laughs> um, no, that's, I mean, for me, actually, um, I'm trying to think. Let's see. It's, it's like, actually, I think like food waste because, uh, you know, food insecurity growing up. And um, but so for me now, like I, I never waste food. Um, and I always 
I'm, I'm always like saving crumbs and I use them in some innovative way in some kind of recipe or something like the other day I was going to make some kind of pie and I used some of the leftover crumbs from a, like that were just in the case of a, of a like after we made brownies and I used that in the crust of the pie and it was like a nice little additive and it, I, so I use my innovative cooking and all that because I don't like to waste food and so it's just that insecurity the food insecurity of knowing that you know other people are facing that and so it's just like a respect that I'm that I'm paying to people who who don't have uh, the food because I know what it's like. Yeah, absolutely. I the 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 whole food waste. Uh, Lino's a good point. It just kind of triggered me in thinking back to growing up in care and not being able to go in the fridge to get something to eat because of the particular foster home that I was with. So that's a good point. Yeah, it's interesting that I feel like there's a common thread in, in all of our quirks of this idea of planning. Yes. For like that uncertainty in our future. So. I, you know, what controlling what we can control and trying to plan what we can plan for the unexpected or the unknown of maybe tomorrow I won't be at this home. So I have to carry all my books around or maybe tomorrow I won't have food. So I'm not going to waste a, a yep. bit of it today or maybe tomorrow. all of these different pieces, I think all relate into that idea. Absolutely. And speaking of planning, we got a lot of great episodes coming up uh, as we continue to keep those in the planning process and production. But for now, we're going to get ready to take off. Any cl closing thoughts or comments before we get out of here? I mean, well, we're doing it. We are off. Yeah, we're the, officially yeah. launched. Yeah. The this plane is, is, it's a rickety plane right now. It's like Wright <laughs> Brothers day three. Like it's not all the way put together, but we're starting to fly it. And if you were, if you're listening to this first episode, it's a little choppy. You should have seen the first few episodes that we've been trying to record. It's great. I wish we could have had a behind the scenes camera because this is part of the process. So I think we've grown as a team and we've gotten to know each other better simply because we've just gone through so many trials of getting this <laughs> podcast off the ground. That damn audio. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is our true trauma to triumph moment. <laughs> Absolutely. So if you want more information about some of the things that we talk about in National Foster Care Month, please visit our website at urfosterstrong.org. And we'll see you next time on Foster Strong. Hey, everybody, it's Adrian. Thanks for tuning in to the first episode of Foster Strong, our pilot episode. We did it. We're so happy that you've tuned in, and we're so happy to have you come along on this journey with us. Listen, tune in next week as we introduce you to more members of our Foster Strong crew. We got slammed down in Florida, and we got Maraid over in California, and they are joining the show to talk about and discuss graduating school during a pandemic and how that's affected them. So you do not want to miss that. Later on this season, you'll hear from other awesome alumni of the Foster Strong family. We got Candy in California. We got Ivy Marie over in Texas. We got Carla Wood in North Carolina. And we got Nate up in Oregon. They all have amazing stories and insights to share. So join us for that. And don't worry about memorizing everybody's name just yet. We're a big family here at Foster Strong. And we got you covered. And we welcome all of you with open arms. All right. Stay safe out there. We'll see you next time on another episode of Foster Strong. <laughs>